I'm Kate Daniels. We need to address the solutions to bullying behavior. And Pamela Gockley, founder of The Camel Project, is here to guide us on this journey. Pamela Gockley, good morning. Thank you for joining us once again. Good morning, Kate. Thanks for having us. Well, I feel it's one of the most important missions, essentially, that we can do is to have this conversation, which is really just such a touching on the subject. And that is talking about bullying in our schools, what it's caused, what it's doing in our society right now, but more importantly, to find out the solutions. What can we do to prevent it? That's the critical thing. Talking about problems is we need to see where we're at. But the solutions, that's what you're all about, right? Right. And it's the prevention piece. We're very good at reacting and sometimes reacting poorly and sometimes not reacting at all. But we much prefer, it's much easier and much more effective and has a bigger impact if we can work on a prevention mindset. And it may feel really daunting right now because... We know, without having to talk about it, just how critical the problem in our world is, all the trauma with all the violence, and the violence that we see that's perpetrated by actually some are teenagers. And so that speaks really to the problem of what is going on in our schools, in our society, that's uh, prompting this, that's really adding fodder to it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the solutions and one of the mindsets we like to get folks into is that these are behaviors. So bullying is a behavior. We don't like to refer to somebody as a bully, but they are exhibiting bullying behaviors and target behaviors and witness behaviors. And that sometimes makes it easier to chunk it down into edible bites where people can actually wrap their head around, rather like you mentioned, this huge overwhelming things at churches and malls and workplace and schools. So we like to ask folks to really think in smaller pieces to affect a shift in our culture away from the violence into more, you know, we have a lot of knowledge. We want to work on that understanding. So one of the things we like to encourage people is to look at each one of these behaviors, not as a child or as a person, but as a behavior that's been learned and probably reinforced for many, many years. And, of course, the home is one place for this to occur, but schools are a great place, being a place of education and learning. This is where kids spend so many hours of the day during the week. This is a critical place, an ideal place, to have that education going on. Absolutely. And we work a lot with the adults who have influence over our youth, which are teachers and lunch ladies and bus drivers and custodians you know, as well as police departments and, you know, parents as well. If we take the opportunity for students to be in schools to, you know, not only learn the subject, but learn how to be human, I think we're kind of missing the mark right now. So again, we like to chunk it down and the educators, we think educators know how to educate on every subject in the world. And it's just not true. (laughs) Our educators are people too. And they are not and never have been exposed to this type of learning. This trauma-informed leadership is where we're really going with our trainings right now. If you understand trauma-informed care, which is very clinical and that's usually, you know, done by a professional. But if we move into 
trauma-informed leadership that our teachers and all the adults in the school understand and can read the signs differently than they're just trying to ruin my day. We like to take it a little deeper, and that's why we do the whole school model, the PBIS, the Positive Behavior Interruption and Support. And we find if we work with adults on a trauma-informed level, which is a very overused word right now, I have to say, Kate, (laughs) everything's trauma. Well, let's break that down into what exactly, how that relates to a behavior like bullying and how that will burn violence and how do we interrupt it and not perpetuate and not re-traumatize. So there's specific things that we educate our folks who have a lot of influence over our students through our training, and that's really where we're focusing right now. And this then is really focusing on finding the solution and and acknowledging that this is in a way new because all of a sudden it's built up to this level, but it's been around. But we have not had the education for the leaders to have that who can then teach it to the students in the school and then we'll have a better basis. But to acknowledge it's okay that you don't know this, but now let's get on track and get that education and information there. So how do you go about doing this, Pamela? Well, first of all, I want to go back. Uh, You know, um, this has been happening for years and years, but COVID put it on steroids. So we all have trauma. (laughs) This is not something that has a, that should have a stigma with it, but we all have trauma. So when, so getting to your question. So when you go to, when we go into a school district, we teach everybody, we have um, trainings for everybody. We'd like to start in August and get everybody on the same page, including parents. And we talk about trauma and what it is and what it looks like. We come back into the school every month or every week to reinforce this shift. This is just shift in culture. This doesn't happen overnight or in one hour trainings. Okay. This has to be fully immersed with support. You know, we always say our students need boundaries and support. Well, so do adults. So as we shift this, um, this possibly, you know, denial I'm dealing with, we're dealing with resistance to this, that it's safer and there's a fear to make a shift. There's, you know, we're dealing with grief that's never trauma, that's been grief that's never been resolved. So people are, are dug in kind of, they want to stay, at least they know what's going to happen, what's not going to happen. But when you start shifting people's cultures and uh, perspectives and options, there's a lot of fear in the adult to make any kind of shift because they don't know what the shift, uh, you know, is going to, you know, what's going to occur. But I, I try to reassure folks, our programs are stress management. It's conflict resolution in a very positive way. And maybe we can actually start teaching what they were hired to teach. So we're getting resistance to this shift and we're getting people who are in, in denial about the impact of the trauma that we have all been uh, subject to because of COVID. And with COVID, that was a huge culture shift. It happened basically in an instant. I mean, it 
obviously took time, but really uh, almost on the turn of a dime within days and weeks, everyone was in this different kind of a reality that we were living in and we had to adjust to. So to acknowledge that, you know, we go through that sort of thing, now let's turn it around 180 degrees so we can work at the solutions of undoing what had gone on during that traumatizing time, plus all the other things that happened as a result. And what we're seeing, incredibly clear, you know, if you take the time to look for it, it's pretty obvious. The adults who are right now, our generation is generational. So the adults right now have a uh, lack resilience and coping skills. I know we always talk about that with children, but so do our adults. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, I'm not that smart. I just really take time to observe folks and how they react and how when the Camel Project comes in, we challenge you. We're not there to tell you you're doing everything wrong and you have to start over. We're there to challenge what you're currently doing so it makes sense to make a, a shift. So we just don't give you a five-point, you know, a five-point program. This is what you do, then you do this, then you do... No, no, no. That's not how we shift the culture. We can, you know, forcing people to do something without it making common sense or being able to be linked to a decision that they can come up to, I don't tell or can't tell anybody what to do. But we do, what we do is we build a case based on their unique position and have them with the tools and strategies to challenge their current belief system. Are they a bias? Are they, you know, is it self-harming to themselves? You can't help, you can only love as much as you love yourself. And if you can't take, so we have a, a challenge to do something for 30 minutes a day. If you can't do 30 minutes a day to invest in yourself, the likelihood you're going to make a substantial positive impact on the youth is very, very low. So you can't ask the child if you're unwilling to look at yours. Right. And so it's uh, perhaps a slow process. You've been working on this for some years now. And is is there some resistance from, uh, from the faculty, from the teachers in the schools? From the parents. Oh, that's who I get the most resistance from. The students are looking for help and support and boundaries, right? The children need it, and they know they need it. But the adults, the teachers, the administrators, the people who are in the leadership are totally resistant to this. You know, they're looking at it from an academic perspective. A bullying behavior based on trauma is not logical. <laughs> it's not academic. So you will understand what it's like to be the target of a bullying behavior unless you were a target of a bullying behavior. So again, you, you may not understand violence against unless you experience it. We're trying to bridge that gap. But teachers, you know, uh, administrators, uh, law enforcement, are so resistant to this concept of dealing with the trauma because, you know, when I was a kid, well, you know what, it, 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 it's no longer exists. 
I was told, well, it's just, you know, boys on the playground stealing each other's lunch money. I said, first of all, they don't get recess. And second of all, they use Venmo. There is no money anymore. So <laughs> we have to decide our own limitations, our own perspective. And that's really, really hard for adults to do. Shockingly hard for adults to do. For all the talk of all this, the help that the need and we want to change our students but we are unwilling to look at our own behaviors that's where it starts and just to add into that in just the last 20 years how media how the cell phone how 24-hour contact has just turned the world upside down and it's it's a challenge for adults but for for young impressionable kids who are are facing this and then can be the target of bullying behavior other than in a school setting when they see each other for a few hours what a world of difference that makes absolutely and that, that's a great example of how it is it, it isn't like when you were a kid anymore you didn't, we didn't have 24-7. When we left the school, we were done. This is, you know, cyberbullying and communications on, on, on the Internet. Um, well, first of all, is controllable if you take the phone from that. <laughs> you know, cut off the phone, first of all. Make sure you have some boundaries. We just gave kids iPads and said, here, go entertain yourself. You know, like we used to get set in front of the TV set. Now kids just get, are given iPads or, or cell phones to go entertain themselves with no boundaries or limitations. So then we, we, we you know, we're no longer the calm, assertive, confident person our, our kids need. We become these, these out-of-control, overly emotional people because of the trauma that we uh, are resistant in in taking um, ownership of and and getting solutions and resolving. And then you add the cell phones, the 24-7, the inability to turn it off. I mean, people are addicted to their cell phones, you know. And again, it just puts this trauma stigma on steroids. So we had a double whammy with with covid as well as the rise of internet access 24-7. It's a perfect storm. And to acknowledge that, rather than to be defensive and think that there's something wrong with me, like I'm an adult, so, you know, I know what I need to be doing in this situation as the parent or as the teacher, to acknowledge that you know, we're always learning, or hopefully we're always learning, and be open to solutions because we know we have this huge elephant in the room. We need to deal with it. Absolutely. I hate to tell you how many times I've been, um, people have looked at me because they're a doctorate, they have a doctor in front of their name. How could she possibly have, you know, any knowledge? But again, we have this understanding, but we don't have the knowledge to implement the changes. And that's, you know, that's what we're really struggling with. One of our programs for the Certified Prevention Specialist, which is the whole school program, is fully funded. It will not cost people of school district a penny to bring in our program. And you think I have anybody taking it? So it's not the money. And, you know, we have to stop this reactionary uh, mindset. So our local school district decided to uh, purchase body armor for the police department in the school and our, our, our security folks in our school. So 
their reaction was to buy um, body armor, not to to support the adults or, or the teachers who had told me many times they're afraid in their classrooms. How can we possibly expect teachers to teach if they're in a, a toxic environment? Because a lot of times people forget teachers are in a work workplace as well as education. So if they have a toxic environment where they don't feel they'll be supported by leadership, how can we expect teachers to teach? Right, right. And, and you... And you have districts that want to even beyond the wearing uh, those those security vests. They they want to think about teachers being weaponized that they should have a gun in the classroom. Yeah, and that is just crazy. So, I mean, the, their their job is to teach students, and it's a toxic environment, and then that bleeds directly into our youth. And you know, uh, bullying behavior is learned. Where are they learning it from? <laughs> I can give you like five examples off the top of my head. You know, they're learning it from adults. They're learning it by the the policies. Seventy percent of policies to deal with the bullying behaviors in schools actually perpetuate the behavior and re-traumatize the the target of those behaviors. So we have totally backwards the way we're dealing with trauma, the way we're dealing with the bullying behaviors, we're just totally doing it backwards. And until somebody can really, I don't know if it's ego. Is it ego? I don't know. We run into a lot of ego and a lot of fear from the adults. And people are like, yeah, our kids. I'm like, no, I'm talking about the adults who are running the school. <laughs> they have the same exact behavior that our kids are exhibiting. And that in itself feels so criminal. It's not right uh, to destroy essentially the future, these future lives, the future, by not being open to a different solution, because obviously what we've been doing doesn't work. We need to redirect ourselves. And maybe you need to charge for the program, Pam, because it, it, maybe it's too good to be true to be free, so it, it needs to be costly. Well, and I, you know, we, we, we attempted to do the, the, the fee for services, and now there's, they come back and they say they don't have a budget. So now we played like a little bit of a chess game here. Uh, you know, here's Checkmate. There is no cost for this program, and they still don't want it. So it's a mindset. It's not about the budget. It is about people refusing to take ownership of the impact of their behaviors on our youth. And the more, the more I work on this, the more upset I get, the more I would say close to anger about it because, and then they turn around and they say, well, we're, we're here to support our youth. No, you're not. You are just not doing that. You are allowing yourself to continue the behavior, even though you know it's going on. So you are perpetuating it. And these are the leadership in the schools that we run into. <laughs> And it's just very, very frustrating. The students, I, I think about, and I'm not going to remember the school, the high school in Florida where there was that massacre of so many students on a Valentine's Day several years ago. They really rose up and wanted things to happen. I don't know where that stands right now, but it seems to me that that kind of passion, the kids themselves saying, you know, we, we can't live with this. You need to change it. We need something different happening. 
Well, and that's exactly it. The, the, the students in the schools have the answer. The problem is they have no voice. Mm. And that's why we feel we're advocates for the students who have no voice. They don't vote. <laughs> they don't control much. So we talk to students almost monthly about what they need us to do and what they need adults to stop doing. And we put that right in our programs. So when we talk to students, I ask them if they report the bullying behaviors, and they say no. And I said, well, why don't you report the bullying? Will you ever? And they say, no, we will never. And, and you know, when I ask adults, they say, oh, well, they don't want retaliation. That's why they don't report bullying. No, you want to know the honest reason why students don't report it? It's because they don't trust you. They don't trust you. It's not about retaliation. They don't trust adults to take care of it. And it's like, I can't really argue with them. What am I supposed to say? They're absolutely right. Adults are not taking care of it, and they will not take care of it. And this is why our youth don't trust the adults, because they see it every day because it's not taken care of. I get calls every day from parents who are going to sue their school district because her kid was beat up and they don't do anything about it. That's why we went to one of our legislators. We're trying to get it passed in Pennsylvania that bullying is illegal and that to have a statute that is right alongside harassment. So harassment is is bullying of a protected class. But if you're not in a protected class, then bullying is not illegal. So, (laughs) so. I'm, I'm going to get people's attention one way or the other. But I am fighting for, and we are advocating for the kids who have no voice. So here we have this opportunity. School districts are simply not taking you up on it. So we need to challenge whoever is listening, who a parent, even youth who might hear this this morning or they hear it on a podcast and really rally to get it, to reach out to you. Actually, we need to mention that, Pam, how to get in touch and be able to to move forward with this and implement it into a school. We have a website, thecamelproject.org, and we also have a Facebook and Twitter. So if you reach out on on any of those platforms, uh, we will certainly be um, contact you, see what we can do. Um, this is a long road. This is not a simple fix. I don't have a magic wand, although some people think I should. (laughs) (laughs) There's no magic. This has taken many years to get. It's going to take many years to to fix. But I tell people it gets better almost right away. If a bully is confronted 60% of the time in the right manner, it stops instantly. That's how close. That's how not easy, but that's how we can effectively change from a trauma-filled dread, depression, anxiety into a, a school district that is, um, has, has opportunities and you can see your dreams and you can reach for your dreams versus being afraid to walk to school because you might get shot. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can do. We can reach out. The youth can reach out. They, they have a bigger voice than they think, <laughs> and the, the teachers and the educators have to stop being afraid of the stigma. They are not weaklings. They are superheroes if they reach out for help. And school districts, you know, we come in and we do a whole school. It's not just one teacher that needs to, 
to shift their culture. We trained over 250 people in our area to have this mindset, to set the seed that you are, your impact, you impact the room when you enter it, but you need to know what that impact is. And when we're negative, when all we're doing is living in fear and all we are doing is, is worrying, that's why suicide and homicide is the leading cause of death of our youth. We have got to intervene. We have got to interrupt. And we have got to do it in a full force way. And the Camel Project is here to guide you. We're not here to tell you what to do. We're here to give you a framework. We're here to hold you accountable. We're here to make it sustainable and repeatable for the sake of our kids. And I know that sounds cliche, but this is real. For the sake of our youth and the future of our societies and our communities, we have got to stand up and take control of this. This isn't the elected officials' fault. This isn't their fault. We don't blame. We don't shame. But I will guilt you to death to get this done. And just know, I believe in the power of one. If this is touching inside some sort of cord, act on that, because that's where all that energy can begin to move it forward, one person at a time, and then it just begins to really spread, uh, like I'm going to say wildfire, even though that isn't a a good thing that we want these days, but it'll just really ignite in a very positive way. Absolutely. You will never regret for trying to make a change in society. You will only regret if you do nothing. That is going to be your regret. And we know we have a problem, so we need to look to the solutions, which is what I said at the outset, and here we are. The solution is right here without even a cost to it except your time and your desire to make it happen. So I I don't know where there is any issue with this when there is a way forward. I'm I'm with you, Kate. I'm 100% with you. I'm not sure where there has to, if if people don't reach out, there's a, you have to understand there is some kind of fear or trauma that, that they're dealing with that is unresolved. That's the only thing I can say. And we acknowledge that trauma exists at varying degrees within all of us to acknowledge that and look for ways to heal. And you come to this from that source yourself. This is your experience. It's not theoretical. It's your life experience. So you know it works. It absolutely works. And this is the program. I, it didn't exist. This is just what I did. This is what I did to deal with the trauma that I went through. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's why I created the program based on what happened to me, what the current culture is, and made it repeatable, made it sustainable, you know, made it steps, framework. I'm a dyslexic, so I need that process, that path, that pattern. So everything that I did, I actually have in this program that people can walk through. It's not a leap, it's steps. And you can see how you're progressing and you build that organic motivation, and it just keeps growing in a very positive way. And to learn more about you, we mentioned the website, which is thecamelproject.org. Yes. 
And also, there's been so much positive reaction to your book writing about your experience. Not all camels live in the desert. Yes, that is my story. Uh, It's written in a 14 font, one and a half alignment, so dyslexics can read it. I don't know why everybody doesn't write books that way. But it tells my story that, you know, this bullying behavior happens a lot. It impacts a lot of people. And it's not your fault. And you're not alone. So that's the story that I tell of what I went through and then built the program off of that. And people... Oh, I read your book. I gave it to my granddaughter. And, you know, that's why I buy the book, you read it, and if you feel it's appropriate, give it to one of your grandchildren or your children or your parents. (laughs) (laughs) If students read it, um, I have students do that. They read it and they give it to their parents. I said, that's excellent. Yes, because I do believe that they know what the answers need to be, and we need to listen and help them be empowered. Absolutely. They have the answers, and I feel pretty secure that they're going to take care of the world, you know, despite, <laughs> despite the adults. I think they're going to do a great job. Absolutely. Well, Pamela Gockley, I think you're doing amazing work. You keep pushing forward because you know it's right. Let's see if here on the West Coast we can respond, hear your call, and really take you up on this and begin to make this shift in our culture. Well, and absolutely, I'm going to be in California in July. I was asked back to the Safe School Conference in Orange County, California, so I am hitting the West Coast again. (laughs) Great. Wonderful. Well, really wishing you all the energy you need to keep moving this forward. And we hope our voices from this morning are going to reach all those hearts that are just waiting for this seed to be planted. Well, and thank you for keeping the conversation alive. We really appreciate the Camel Project. Well, it feels like the least I can do. And I'm just grateful that you are continuing this important work, Pamela Gockley. Thank you.